You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello again, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's News Podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, as always, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and today you are listening to the Friday, May 7 edition of the show. We are roughly a week away or a week out from the 2021 NFL Draft, and at Big Blue View, we've been giving you all sorts of uh, all sorts of, of post-draft coverage. We have given you a, a, a pretty in-depth feature on first-round pick Kadarius Tony. We gave you a similar feature on fourth-round pick Ellerson Smith, a really interesting player out of Northern Iowa. A lot of information in there from Northern Iowa coach Mark Farley. Uh, we've taken a look at the uh, the Giants roster bubble after what Dave Gettleman, you know, commonly refers to as the roster building season of both free agency and the NFL draft. We've given you film studies on late round picks Gary Brightwell, running back out of Arizona, and Oklahoma State cornerback Rodarius Williams, who are two players we really did not profile. You know, leading up to the draft, but we've also, uh, Chris Flum has also given you roster profiles or prospect profiles uh, on those two sixth round picks. We've also been looking at draft grades and giving you our grades, giving you the SB Nation Reacts polling, which showed that 92% of our voters at SB Nation are in approval, had given the uh, the Giants' work in the draft either an A or a B grade. And Giants fans, what we're also going to do today is we're going to talk to Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy. Dan, a former NFL scout or a former uh, worked in the scouting departments of the Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles, now runs the Scouting Academy, trains people who want to uh, to scout for a living or who want to simply understand football a little bit better and be able to see it through the eyes of a scout at the uh, at the scouting academy Dan uh, Dan will join us here momentarily and uh, and we'll get his insights on what the New York Giants did in the in the 2021 NFL draft wanted to also remind you guys if you have questions for the Big Blue View mailbag, please drop those to bigblueview at gmail.com. 
Also, please check out our work on Instagram at Big underscore Blue. Check out our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at Big Blue View. Subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Please also check out the show by Nick Filato if you haven't done that. Check out the show that Chris Flum and Joe DeLeon do, often also joined by Nick Filato on that show, as they uh, as they all do, you know, tremendous work on Big Blue View Radio and also on our website. So uh, without uh, without any further ado, Giants fans, let's get to the interview that I did with Dan Hatman. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Giants fans, I'm joined now by Scouting Academy Director Dan Hatman as we look back at the New York Giants 2021 draft, the differences in the way that the Giants uh, conducted this draft from from past drafts with Dave Gettleman's trades and, and and things like that. Dan, it's been a while since we've chatted. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you for coming on. So one of the things as we get right into this, one of the things that I was interested in, I was I was looking at your timeline on Twitter and I know that you've got you know, tons of, of guys, you know, who've come through the scouting Academy and are working in the league and, and you, you know, you reached out to some guys and you got interestingly a real mixed reaction to what the giants did in the draft. And I'm curious, you know, if, if that interested you and maybe if you can share some of what you heard on the good side and some of what you heard on the bad side. Sure. It, it all comes down to Kadarius Tony, I think, in terms of where it breaks. Uh, I don't think anybody had a problem with Olujari uh, going in the second. Everybody knows about the lower leg um, and the risk that you're buying there. But what the player can do, I think everybody was comfortable with that. Uh, you know, a guy like Ellerson Smith in the fourth was a great range where a lot of people were going to be interested in him in that place. Uh, just the size speed combo. But I think really the evaluation of the draft class comes down to did that scout or team like Tony or did they not? And I think that's where it all, I think that's where it hedges for everything. You know, the outside analysts, the scouts, everybody relies on this because you, you make the move back. I don't think anybody has a problem picking up the number one. In fact, I think everybody's going to give Dave kudos, you know, trader Dave, let's, let's correct this trader Dave, trader Dave, 
for yeah, picking two up trades. one next two year. Two trades. My two goodness. Two trades. Gotta love it. Um, so th- that, I think, is a plus across the board. So I wanted to dive in on Tony because when you watch him, clearly, you know, unique and exciting individual to watch play football. Um, so what what is the concern? And some of the concern just has to do with the fact that for a player that might have been the most dynamic athlete on the Florida campus for all four years he was there, why did it take till his senior year to kind of break open? Why couldn't he put together um, yards and production before this last season? Um, you know, is he really going to become a professional? Is he going to take and apply coaching? Uh, you know, can you really maximize him? And, and I think it's obviously an open-ended question. We'll we'll see. And so this pairing of Jason Garrett and Kadarius Tony is huge for how this draft class returns. Interesting. You know, let's talk about let's talk about Jason Garrett and Kadarius Tony. I mean, where you sit, I mean, I mean, Jason Garrett, he has a reputation of running an offense a certain way. But are you in that camp that's concerned that that maybe Jason Garrett isn't flexible enough to to find the the ways to use Kadarius Tony that would really benefit him? They're a bit too static for for my liking in terms of you know just line up and play football, line up and run a concept, line up and do better than their team. Uh, we're seeing more and more where coaching is having to carry a little bit of the burden from a schematic standpoint to overcome the limitations that we have from development. You know, we got players that are not going to voluntary workouts. We barely have an off-season program. We barely have practices throughout fall camp and the fall itself. So player development, in my estimation, is at an all-time low. We just don't sink time into player development. It's all about player usage. And I think that's where you're seeing more and more staffs take things from college, take tons of pre-snap motions and lots of different formations and um, really make diagnosis difficult on the defense. And a lot of times when you watch the Giants, they just don't have as much of that as other teams. And it's a lot of, let's line up, we're going to run a concept and our guys are going to have to do it better than your guys. Um, And that just puts a lot of onus on the players. And I wonder... I think that's absolutely fair, but I wonder if, and this is a little bit off topic of where I actually wanted to go with you, but some of the coaching changes that the Giants made, putting Freddie Kitchens in a a senior um, sort of offensive assistant position, bringing in you know Rob Sale as offensive line coach, guy that was an offensive coordinator. Um, I know that Jason Garrett's going to have the play call, but but do you see those things maybe as as a little bit of a push, you know, to, to bring in some of those concepts? I would hope so. You know, I think it was a lot of talk in the last couple months about how college-oriented this staff is. So many of them have very recent exposure at the college side, and that was supposed to be a benefit in the draft process. Uh, but, yeah, I would hope that um, that can happen. Like when Andy Reid went to Kansas City, for example – you know, he brought in play, uh, people like Chris Alt, who were running the pistol at Nevada. Um, 
with Colin Kaepernick and, you know, some of the unique things that they were doing from that formation and, and adding some new wrinkles to things. And so, you know, I think all of us have to kind of be in that lifelong learner mentality of what new wrinkle can I add to stay ahead in this cat and mouse game we have. Yeah, it's interesting, and it, it is going to be interesting to see how the Giants' offense evolved, Dan. But I, I want to get back to Tony for a minute, and I want to get back to the fact that it was the Giants, a sort of historically conservative organization. But the Giants, you know, they've they've taken some risks on some some quote unquote personalities in, in recent years. I mean, did you did you find it interesting that it was the Giants that it was you know Gettleman in a year when you know when the Giants basically they've got to get this right if Dave's going to have a job a year from now? Did you find it interesting that that it was that it was the Giants and that it was that it was Dave that were willing to uh, to to uh, to go all in on Tony? No, because. Daniel Jones has to become what that investment says he's supposed to be. You know, when you invest that pick, um, he's supposed to be the guy that brings you to NFC championship games and brings you to Super Bowls and, and makes this team that kind of competitor. And, you know, when you look at going out and adding, you know, the Kenny Galladay's of the world and, uh, trying to make sure that there's enough pieces around him. Obviously with Saquon coming back, you, you know, you really like what Sterling and Darius are and they'd already tried to add a John Ross. We'll see if that turns into anything, but there's a, there's an attention here, a clear focus on making sure that there are people that can get open and give Daniel solutions from a player standpoint and not put all the onus on him. Cause the most explosive plays last year were Daniel running. You know, and so they're adding guys that can go make those plays because they got to give them their best shot. Now, obviously, the rest of the draft class had a heavy defensive influence. That makes a ton of sense. You know, get the you know get the other team off the field, put the ball back in Daniel's hands, but to put the first pick into a, another weapon for him, not even makes total sense. And and putting all your chips in the middle of the table on Daniel Jones. And I'm curious, you know, from 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 the guys that you talk to, I mean what what's the process really for a team you know obviously i read you know bob mcginn's scouting reports on players and there were there were scouts who said my team won't you know there's no he's not even on the board for my team you know Kadarius tony what what's the process that teams go through what's that like and 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 i'm curious you know what those discussions what those discussions are like so I find in my experience and then talking to others about their experience that there aren't as many hard and fast rules on this stuff. And that your, I use the term risk aversion. How much risk are you willing to buy has to do with job status, has to do with current roster construction, has to do with the type of players in the market. So, you know, this, draft class was not as robust with unique players. It was not as robust with top end starters. It's a lot of capable players that will help fill out rosters and provide great depth. Um, And so, you know, when you were looking at getting outside of that top 15, 
you're looking at players that either have the athletic traits, but there's something missing with the rest of the makeup, or they are missing those athletic traits, but they're solid performers and what have you. So when you're looking at those kind of scenarios and you get the reports on who the person is and your, your scouts are doing that work. And then this is what the people on campus are saying. And here's what the, you know, the person in the cafeteria is saying, and here's what the academic person saying, and here's what the trainer's saying. And you lay all that out there. It comes back to what kind of player is he? And do we want to take on whatever baggage comes with that? Are we willing to put that time and that infrastructure in place to support that player through all those things, which usually just comes down to physical gifts. Like if they're a uniquely talented individual, most teams are willing to take more risk, um, especially at points where there's pressure for overall team performance. Um, you know, this was to your, to your point, this is not probably the time to be, you know, sacrifice bunting and, and swinging for singles here. You know, this is, we got to go make a splash. We have to make a big impact. And that is, you mentioned risk aversion, you mentioned job status and, and, and making a splash and, and, and that's actually a really good jumping off point to talk about Dave Gettleman. And first of all, I mean, you, you mentioned the the Trader Dave nickname. You know, people are all of a sudden calling him Trader Dave. And even, you know, Giants front office people are admitting that, that you know, Dave's catching a lot of ribbing for making two trades finally. I think he was – I think he had made 54 draft picks before this draft without trading down – all of a sudden, two trades down in two picks, and then a very Gettleman-like trade up. I mean, you're watching those first two or three rounds, and and as you're watching Dave, you know, maneuver the board. What are you thinking? A guy that doesn't feel like he's on the hot seat. You know, if you're going to move all that capital in the next year, you do it under the assumption that I'm going to be using that capital next year. Otherwise, I don't think you see that, you know, um, I don't know what, you know, Ryan Pace's status is in Chicago, but he obviously spent a, a lot of the capital from that team on two picks, a new left tackle and a new quarterback. And there's, you know, they're leaving the cupboard more bare the rest of this class and next class because of that. And at the outside perception is, is because he's got a bit of a mandate, like you better win now or you're not going to be picking next year. So what the heck does he care about next year's picks? So to watch Dave, shift capital into next year. Um, I'm not saying he has like assurances of getting his job back, but he's not playing scared as if he's not going to have his job. He's just doing what he thinks is best. It's interesting because I had the same thought, Dan, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who think that if the giants, you know, John Mara, you know, over the off season said he was tired of losing. He was tired of going to a postseason press conference and explaining why things went wrong. He's, you know, that it was time to win. Even Dave has said, you know, this is, this is the year for Daniel Jones to show us one way or one way or the other. And the, the end result of that is if they're bad, if they win, if they go six and 11, in this new 17 game schedule, if they win six or seven games and, and are convinced they have to pick a new franchise quarterback, my guess is it's not going to be Dave Gettleman as the GM making that pick. So I, 
I'm with you. I thought it was really, really interesting that that these didn't seem like all in for 20, you know, 2021 moves. Your thought. I think this is the thing that people don't don't want to admit or don't want to take into consideration with him. What he says is what he means. Like this isn't this isn't a cover. This isn't um, a facade he puts forth for people. Like he believes there's a way to conduct business. He honestly believes every move he makes is in the best interest of the organization. So I bet you, if you asked him about this, he'd say, I put what's best for the organization on the table. If we lose, I'll bow out with grace and I appreciate the opportunity, but like, this is what's best for the team. Like I, I, he's not someone that's going to put himself above the team. That's just never been my experience with him. Like he's going to put what he thinks is best for the organization first and whatever happens after that, he'll take it, you know, in stride because that was the decision he made. Do you find maybe the fact that he made two trades here, the fact that he he took two cornerbacks and and in taking those two cornerbacks, he said to the media, he said, you know, because for years he said run defense, run the ball, you know, the, the traditional, you know, hog mollies, big guys help you win. And, and this time he took two cornerbacks and he said, well, people tell me it's a passing league, so it's a passing league, so why not take two corners? Do you do you look at this draft maybe as an indication that, that Dave is, you know, maybe an old dog learning some new tricks, or is this really just typical Dave? No, you got a, a wide receiver, two pass rushers, and two corners. We, we this is a passing oriented draft. There's there's no other way to look at it. Um, and he he also has spent the last few years retooling the staff there and continuing to surround him with counselors. And he's going to he's not going to block out the people around him when they bring him an intelligent point. And so it just, it from afar, it seems like the people around him have showed him enough information that he's ready to commit to support our quarterback and our passing attack and let's rush their passer and let's stop them from throwing the ball. And we'll go from there. It's interesting because, you know, you, you worked for Dave, you know, for a brief period of time. And I know it was a while ago now, but Dave always says that he doesn't dictate to the coaching staff, that it's a collaboration. And and I believe him when he says that because, I mean, a good general manager, and I know some people don't think Dave's a good general manager because of the, the one-loss record for the Giants the last few years, but a good general manager – understands his coaching staff, understands what the coaching staff wants and tries to deliver that. Doesn't try to say, these are the kinds of players I want you to have. Now you go make it work. And and to me, that is what I've always thought that Dave has tried to do is give his coaches what they want, not what he thinks they need. Um, Do you, do you kind of see him the same way? You're talking about the only GM in recent, we're talking like the last 10, 15 years, the only GM that went into another team 
that had an existing coach when he went to Carolina that didn't move on from that coach for the next calendar year. Every single other example, like Joe Doug, Adam Gaze is on the hiring committee that hired Joe Douglas. And then within a calendar year, Joe Douglas moved on to go get his own head coach, right? When you take over that personnel chair, you spent your entire career preparing for one shot. GMs get one shot in almost every case. Um, Dave obviously being the outlier. And in that one shot, you're in control of personnel. You don't control all personnel, right? You want to pick my coach. I want to pick my scouts. I want to pick all these people. Um, and he went to Carolina and he honestly believes a lot of times the answer to your problem is in your building. It's an honest belief of his. And we went to Carolina, he looked at Ron Rivera and he didn't go, all right, I need you out of here so I can hire my own guy. It was, who are you? Why are you here? And what are you good at? And so, yes, I honestly believe that when they select Joe Judge as their coach, he sees himself in a support role to Joe. What do you need? What are you looking for? And I do believe it's a collaboration. Which brings us to uh, to the Joe Judge question. Second year as a head coach, obviously an alpha, obviously a guy who believes in his own evaluation, did a lot of player evaluation in New England, knows what he wants in his program, knows the kind of players that he wants. I'm I'm curious how much you think either it's Judge's voice starting to shine through in some of these decisions like moving around in the board or or conversely, you know, how much impact Joe might be having on the way Dave sees the game and the prospects. I wouldn't discount all of that. I mean, again, you look at New England's track record, they're a trade down team heavily, you know, so I can imagine it's plausible that when you're hitting, sitting there having those meetings about who's going to be available at the 11th pick and you know, Joe might say something like, I don't, you know, none of those guys are so drastically superior to the guys we could get later on that I wouldn't want to go down and, and add other players. Um, I could totally see that. I think the longer that a GM and a head coach spend together, the more they just understand each other and what they're looking for. So as you continue to work with somebody and you continue to try to find the players that, that, that they want and you continue to, to fill out the roster, uh, I, all those things, it's a, it's an evolution. It's a, it's an ongoing dynamic every single day, every single year. And so there's no, there's no way they don't spend that much time together and don't impact each other. So the one thing the Giants didn't do here in this draft that, that has some people up in arms is they didn't go and, and address the offensive line. And Dave said after the draft, he said, well, it's pretty apparent that we think more highly of the offensive linemen that we already have here than you guys do in the media. And that goes back to your talking about Dave saying, you know, the answers are already in the building. When, when Dave says that about this offensive line on one hand, and then admits, well, there were guys we would have taken who were offensive linemen, you know, in round two or round three, but they were off the board by before our pick. Is he, is he saying that as, as a defense mechanism or do you, do you believe that the Giants look at Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott and Shane Lemieux and, and Nick Gates and think the answers to this offensive line are already here in the building. 
Yeah, I I do. We talked about this the last time I was on the show that their their position on this is clearly that they could go into September with what they had prior to the draft and they could play football. And so then looking at the board, I think they got to a point of, yeah, there's no way they didn't look at this class and say, Hey, there are players here that would be good for us that we would add to competition or could outright win a job in certain circumstances. Um, But having gone through that process, again, they weren't willing to move up for one of them. Um, They want to spend the additional cost to do that. And then by the time they got to those picks, clearly they didn't feel those players were superior to other positions. And so I think a lot of that came from, and it's really a strong strategy. You, you try to tell yourself when you go into that free agency period, if you could put together my 53 right here, like think I could go to September, we could play a ball game with the players I've got right now, then you really can approach the draft as close to best player available as possible. I don't honestly believe teams actually do best player available. I think our minds start to push need into that process, even if it's just subconsciously. But if you have built that out where we know, you know, who our starters would be as of today, then yeah, you could look at the board and say, I'm just adding competition. If a rookie wins the job, he wins the job. But otherwise we can put Nate and Matt in competition. You know, we can put, you know, Shane and Zach Fulton in competition uh, with Will and what have you. And like, we'll just, we could win with, you know, we could win with that. And if we get a better player, great but it's not a mandate going into that. I, I yes, I believe that was part of, part of the thought process. And one of the things I find funny about this, Dan is, you know, Dave, I, Dave once in a while will say things and Jeff diamond, former GM in Minnesota said, you know, Dave would, Dave would do well sometimes maybe not to talk quite so much <laughs> because he tends to, and I think he's learned a little bit over the years because he'll say during press conferences, he'll say, I'd give you a throwaway line, but the throwaway lines always come back to haunt me, like the throwaway little joke or whatever. He says, they always seem to come back to haunt me. But the one thing he said when he drafted those three offensive linemen a year ago, and, and I wish he hadn't said it. I've written this a number of times. He said, we want to fix this offensive line once and for all. And maybe that was what they wanted to do. But you know, and Dave knows, and I know that the only way to fix it and keep it fixed is to keep throwing resources at it, at anything. You can't just say, well, it's fixed. I can ignore it for the next few years. So, but I I find it interesting. And it's kind of a long-winded way of me saying, I find it interesting from a fan base perspective that, Everybody was happy that the Giants drafted these three players, and now they're panicked that the Giants are actually going to put them on the field and find out what they can do. I mean, does that does that kind of make you chuckle? It does. And I said this uh, elsewhere before the draft. One of the things that gets me most frustrated is the faulty expectations that come with the draft process. Um, I I root for every single player, right? I'm not anti a player, but I do feel that sometimes we create such hype and draft position certainly creates such hype. And then all of the articles after the draft are typically glowing about these top draft picks and how they're the hope and they're the savior and that, you know, they're, they're God's gift to football. 
and it creates faulty expectations. And then when those expectations aren't met, then everybody quickly turns on the player. And I, I don't like that for the player. I don't think it's, it's healthy for their development. We're talking about people who got drafted during COVID, who didn't have off season, who didn't have typical camp, like nothing about last year for anybody was normal. So what logic is there to say that any of those three young men were going to be the best possible versions of themselves in that the old line room, just from a coaching standpoint, hasn't been systematically nailed down. Right. And that's been in flux. So you you've got so many moving parts with O-line. Is it possible that they put their best foot forward? No, I, I can't possibly believe that. Now, does that mean that each of them is going to take a giant step into all pro status next year? I'm, I'm not saying that either, but it's plausible that a human being in a better environment produces a better result. The question is, did they craft a better environment this year? And if so, then yeah, I think it's logical that there could be um, improvement, which obviously <laughs> lends itself to, to better outcomes. Yeah, and I thought, you know, a lot of what you just said applies to Andrew Thomas. And yeah, I keep coming back to Andrew Thomas was the first of those four offensive tackles taken. Everybody, you know, everybody will argue, oh, these guys all had better years. It, and I'm not convinced that that means those other three players, Mackay Becton, Jedrick Wills, and Tristan Wirfs, will all have better careers. And we talk about the environment that they were in. And I also come back to this. Andrew Thomas was the youngest player on the Giants football team a year ago. That's a big responsibility to hand, you know, playing left tackle, protecting your quarterback's blind side. That's a big responsibility to hand the youngest player on your football team. I'm just curious. I mean, long-term from, from your knowledge of, of, of Andrew Thomas and from what you've seen, I mean, I'm bullish on the guy. I don't know if he's going to be the best of those offensive tackles, and I don't know if that matters. I think he's going to be a good NFL left tackle. Um, I'm curious what you think. I mean, that's what I was where I had him graded last year, was that he could be um, a good left tackle in the National Football League. I think everybody anticipated better performance than what we saw from last year um, based on the college film. I mean, he was not my – number one tackle going into that. Not that that really dictates anything, just um, so I try to be open about that because I didn't have the highest level of optimism relative to other guys, but still looking at him, it wasn't like he was in a drastically different tier or anything like that. These guys were pretty closely clumped together from last year. So I don't think anybody expected, you know, uh, Jedrick Wills to look like that and Andrew Thomas to look like this. Um, at least if they did that, I don't remember seeing the, that posted publicly prior to the draft last year. Um, yeah, people were keeping that one to themselves. Yeah. That, if that was the take, let's show, show me the receipts. Um, so <laughs> there's, there's something that happened with him. Uh, a lot of times it can be a lack of confidence, you know, um, things start to go downhill. It can snowball and get away from you. Um, you know, can you, can you turn that around? Can you bring that back? We talk about that with quarterbacks all the time, right? A quarterback gets hit and hit and hit and hit and hit. And all of a sudden they're gun shy and they're, they're not using their mechanics. They're not working through reads. They're just trying to get the ball out quickly because they're afraid of taking the next blow. Um, it's just a, it's a physical game and, and you gotta have that belief in yourself. And so I would imagine in addition to technique, a lot of this off season for him is just going to be that I can do this. 
You know, it might be where you just pop on the Georgia film and Andrew, you did this. Watch it it's right here. You did it. You can do it. Let's go. You know, if I'm coaching them, that's what I'm doing. Like we're taking last year's tape and I'm throwing it out. I know what technical things we got to fix. Here's what we'll do to drill that. And then let's just show you success. Let's show you what you did. And I'll show you some other players that maybe have similar traits to you and how they perform. And we get you in a headspace of belief. And then we go from there. And I think there's some good film from, from Thomas last year toward the end of the year as well. I thought, uh, you know, there was the, the last six or seven games. I think he might've played poorly in one of those games. So there's some good, there's some good NFL film that he can look at as well. Yeah. And so, you know, and I'm not saying that that's a hundred percent of what things were for him, but from afar, that's what I started asking myself, you know, does he believe in himself and can you get him back to believing in himself? Um, and then again, you know, they're probably looking at this saying between Matt and Andrew and Nate, we got three tackles for two spots between Will and Shane and Zach. We've got three guards for two spots and let's go, let's compete, see who wins these jobs. There you go. Hey, Dan, when you just kind of, uh, kind of, you know, last thing for you, um, all of the, the roster building the giants, you know, six and 10 last year, it's, it's been a, yeah, it's been a, a rough three years so far for Dave. Um, you look at what they've done, draft and otherwise, and you know the season's still a ways away. But right now, when you look at the Giants, do you do you feel better about this group, maybe than than you felt about a, a Giants group in a while? I definitely love where the defense is at. This you know this defense is you know getting towards some of those championship teams defense from my standpoint, in terms of just the, the massive amount of players, like the secondary alone has so many different unique player body type skill sets. They can, they can create matchups. I loved what Patrick Graham did last year, giving him two more players in the front while returning, you know, most of those, you know, with Leonard and Dexter and, you know, Danny Shelton and then Ryan Anderson. And now the two draft picks, like, there are so many options for Patrick. I, I get really excited. I'm I'm open to being excited about the offense. They they're they're going to have to prove it. I, I don't know if I can sit here today and be jumping up and down. Um, you can see where the path to success would be, but relative to other offenses in the league, you know, can they keep up with in terms of horsepower? I don't know. More concerned about the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, or both both interesting yeah it's a uh, it's a a huge sort of prove it year for both guys i think the uh i i my personal take is i think the the offensive coordinator in waiting is already in place if this doesn't go well for the giants this year in freddie kitchens and, and my guess is that if it doesn't go well for this offense the giants are probably back in the quarterback market next offseason yeah, it's hard pressed to disagree. I mean, if he's maybe right there on the cusp, you could talk yourself into it again. But it's it's difficult to to continue to go into an off season with a question mark there in this league if you're chasing championships. Uh, if you're not chasing championships, it's a different story. Um, but you know, this ownership group, I do believe, is looking to chase championships, which means they need that kind of quarterback play. Um, and so, yeah, he's going to have to, you know 
get over the hump uh, and make use of these weapons around him. All right. Hey, Dan, always appreciate uh, spending some time with you. Why don't you, uh, you know, give folks the, uh, the, the scouting Academy pitch, tell them where they can, uh, where they can find you on Twitter and all that. All right. Well, uh, we're at scoutingacademy.com and we're an online educational platform to help people learn more about this game, particularly through the lens of scouting and evaluation. We've had 42 alumni go on to NFL opportunities and hoping to see that number increase during this hiring cycle this year. And we actually have our summer semester starting this coming Monday, May 10th. And you can register for that at scoutingacademy.com. All right. Hey, Dan, thank you very, very much. And, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again. It's uh, it, it had been a while this time around. Absolutely. I'll be back anytime. Talk to you All soon. Right. Take care. That wraps up our show for today, Giants fans. As always, we ask you to please stay safe out there. Please take care of each other, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.